Well, we never would have thought that we would do another podcast after doing well over two hours in one day. But here I'm watching um, a gentleman. I actually thought he wrote a pretty good book. Uh, Robert Wright. It's uh, Why Buddhism is, is True, I believe it, what it was. It's a little while ago. I believe I did a podcast on it a long time ago. Now, I stopped watching him on YouTube. He does this blogging heads or something like that on YouTube. I stopped following him because he showed how ridiculous he was because he was talking about how terrible Trump is and never once mentioned how terrible the Democrats are as well. So here he is. He's promoting his new book, Zero Sum. And first he uses an example of the global auto uh, makers, right? It's like, well, it's a zero sum because, you know, this part's made here and this part's made there. And what are you talking about? These corporations have gone global so that they can make all the profit. No one else does. That's not zero sum. Zero sum for everybody that matters. Right? So I may mention that, you know, that giving a corporation the power of the individual is a real bad start. But here he's invited some other guest on to talk about his cognitive empathy and mindfulness. And he's talking about he's in a divorce and the, the guy's a mess. Right? Why would we listen to anyone that's that big of a mess? Right? And I'll warn you, I'm a mess too, so you probably shouldn't listen to me, but neither here nor there. The guy's a mess, but what bothers me most is once again, they're repackaging the exact same thing, right? Buddhism with ample insufficiency, right? Because what are they offering here? Uh, cognitive empathy. And they're literally like, oh, well, you have to understand someone else's perspective. That's compassion, boys. Right? Cognitive empathy. It's just, again, these people using language to confuse the message. Cognitive empathy is just a synonym for compassion. And it works because we've been using it, karuna, for millennia. Right? And mindfulness, I'm tired of them making it into something it's not. Mindfulness is sati. Sati is to remember. Right? What are we remembering? It's to be a good person. Right? I'm tired of them breaking apart all of this into its little pieces. It's a package, as I've said a million times. The Noble Eightfold Path, right? The Four Noble Truths, the Marks of Existence, right? You can't pull these individual little things out. You can't say, oh, Metta Meditation or Vipassana or Shamatha. None of it is designed to operate independently because the heart of it is all identical. Jhana, jhana, doesn't matter. I mean, I've explained it a hundred times. There's a hundred different words in English, in Pali. I mean, when I was in this chat, I mean, I was up to the sixth language that I was using to display the same point, right? Call it what you will. When you start stripping away the sufficiency, what you need, once again, here they are railing against a politician because of their false representations. And yet, here he has a gentleman on, supposed to be interviewing him about his cognitive empathy and mindfulness. Again, just a appropriated, rebranded content, which is what I was talking about with the wife earlier. Right? I'm going to appropriate their uh, uh, rebranding so that I can market my content, doing the opposite to them. Right? There's Tons of these marketers that show these people how to rebrand content, right? As I've said before, it shocked me to find 
Okay, uh, almost 30 years ago, I was familiar with Alexandra David Neal because she was a member of the Theosophical Society. It's the moral basis of religion, but at the time, the turn of, of the last century or the century before, I don't know how we would say that now, right? In the 1800s, in the early 1900s, the Theosophical Society arguably was more of, and um, they were looking for esoteric traditions. They were about the occult, right? So by the time I came around to reading um, one of Alexander David Neal's books, I'd been studying um, the esoteric Buddhist practices. In fact, I'd been studying things like the Tumul, uh, the uh, Doctrine of Psychic Heat, because I had one of my first special orders was Tibetan Yoga after uh, the Bardo Thaddeus. Right, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Again, mislabeled in English because it's actually uh, the book of natural liberation in the between states. Right? Why? It's important you know the difference because it's, it's designed to teach the living awareness and prepare them for the between states, but also uh, teaching them how to harness the between states uh, that we experience here in our samsaric, uh, in this world, um, this, uh, what they call this ca causality world, this conditional world, world of what we consider to be real, right? Either the illusory world or the dependent uh, uh, nature state. So I was already 10, 12 years into studying this. And um, of course, I had known about Mrs. Uh, David Neal, uh, because she was a student of who I had been studying for years, um, Madame Blavatsky, H.P. Blavatsky, out of Russia, probably why you've never heard of her. The French, uh, David Neal, Alexander David Neal, is the darling of the French, right? Because she was fantastic. Turn of the century, traveling uh, um, where many men uh, not only feared to, but were even unable to tread. Um, the deepest, darkest Tibet. At the time, Tibet, uh, an empire uh, previously uh, that kept itself protected. Right? She was an opera singer, and a feminist, an anarchist. Right? Arguably, when you read her writing, not as much of an anarchist as you might think. Right? Uh, but for me, 30 plus years ago, I didn't have access to the English translations we have now. I mean, I find it wonderful. The internet makes it so easy. As I said, you can access some of these uh, documents in whatever language you need. I'm giving tours to people from around the world, and, and it blows me away that they're able to, uh, to access the Dhamma in any language they choose. Yet, here's this uh, wonderful lady who, again... Forget the motivation and some of the obscure little stories. Same as uh, Madame Blavatsky. Some of it may be fiction. Forget all that. Let's just look at how amazing it was for a woman of her age, 50, 60, 70, traveling Asia, uh, Tibet, right? A closed-off uh, country at the time. Unheard of for an Occidental particularly an Occidental female, to make it in. As I said earlier, 
Uh, it is no secret that the Tibetan culture was very uh, misogynist. Again, not the Buddhism, but the culture, the human and the humanity, is where it failed. So we see commonly these people are are um, repackaging, rebranding content, right, uh, for the internet, and here. Uh, this darling of France, Alexander David Neal, a darling of uh, the Western introduction to Tibetan Buddhism, right? She supposedly had met the previous Dalai Lama, right? Right. I, I was going to say no end to the documentaries, but I mean there are a number of documentaries, but none of this is available in English. I mean, the book that I had access to was one of the very few that were available in English and actually it was a new publication of, right? It had originally been published in 67 in French. I can't really speak to how many English translations there were, but as of 1998, it was the first that I was able to get my hands on. Um, there was another one that she wrote was fiction, but I wanted to get the one that she wrote that was about uh, Tibetan Buddhism or esoteric Buddhism or secret oral teachings, as she said, right? That's including some of this tumo and that. Right, But for me, why did I find this interesting? Because here, I'm watching Joe Rogan with the wife. And as I put up a podcast, I talked a little bit about this, but I didn't really talk about my reaction. This gentleman who wrote a book called Breathe, it's James Nestor. He made reference to a, an opera singer, an atheist. I think he mentioned French or what have you in her age traveling into Tibet in disguise. I knew exactly who he was talking about. I found it funny that he didn't mention the lady's name. I don't know why. Maybe he's in the process of writing a book and wanted to keep it secret. It seems weird to me he wouldn't have mentioned who she was. But then I come to realize that, I mean, there is no content really to be had for uh, an English speaker. Because even the one documentary I was able to see... Uh, the translation was terrible, right? The subtitles were, were terrible. And I'm, so again, I've been talking about almost like this perfect storm. I mean, uh, French speaking, uh, Madhyamaka Yogacara and Tantric Buddhist for, for three, arguably four decades, right? Theosophist when I was young. Almost like I was trained for this, right? To bring uh, bring some of this interesting teaching to the West. Right? But what's my point here? I can't really quite remember, so let me go back and figure it out. Okay, okay, I'm on track. I'm on track now. So, watching Robert Wright again, he's talking about this zero sum. You know, he's just advertising, I guess, his next book, and I didn't realize that because he did a pretty good job in the one I mentioned. But I guess he just spits them out, right? And then uses this blogging platform to advertise them. But as I said, he brought this gentleman on. And as I was talking on the walk with the wife, I, I really would love to see um, with this incoming crisis of uh, PTSD from, from Corona and, and everything they're talking about. And then the economic crisis that's incoming social and political crisis that's incoming uh, all over the world, right? There's so many people that are going to need uh, 
these uh, simple teachings for the sucker, right? For, they need sufficiency. They need it to work. So, as I was saying to the wife, it makes me sick that the group uh, that calls themselves Transcendental Meditation will charge you thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars for what? Teach you how to sit on a cushion and breathe. Once again, we've talked about this. It's not an idea of uh, you know stepping away from the world. You're supposed to be learning how to deal with the world. But fourteen hundred dollars to teach you how to sit, how to breathe, and help you pick your own mantra. Come on, jeez, go to Cora or uh, Google. Trust me, you can get that just as easily that way, right? But here he has a gentleman on, and he's, like I said, an absolute failure, it seems. Like, his marriage is a failure, and he's still having trouble with that, and this is trouble, and this is trouble, and that's trouble. But oh, here he is to tell us that he has this awesome solution, and right? He's made these great, yeah. Like I said, cognitive empathy and mindfulness. I am so sick and tired of them repackaging pieces of the whole and lying to people and telling them that it's going to help them when we all know it's not. It's just the same crap in a different wrapper, right? Call it mindfulness this or meta that or come on, cognitive empathy, that's uh, compassion. I mean, it's an absolute farce. And as I said, here I discovered there is just an absolute wealth of knowledge out there that hasn't even been accessed, right? That just simply needs to be searched for or, you know, sometimes at worst translated, right? So here I sit trying to figure out, right, how is it you get that across? Well, I mean, honestly, you got to fight fire with fire. Right. I mean, dana is a wonderful concept. It's an idea of a gift or charity. Right? The Dhamma is this wonderful gift that we're all supposed to share. But same as the Buddha. I mean, if I'm sitting here realizing that, no, there's absolutely no reason for anyone to believe this. As I've said before, I've tried for years to try to share this healing I have um, acquired, developed, learned, experienced, whatever, for this inflammatory-based disease that I have. Absolutely horrible. I read every day, not every day, but you know what I mean. Every day, fellow patients suffering, suffering horribly. Yet the simple solution is just to change what they eat and far too many of them will refuse to do something as simple as that, yet they will choose to carve off pieces of their body or take genetic medications that who knows what the long-term side effects are, but just simply have uh, less effectiveness than a placebo or a sugar pill. Right? So what do we take from this? Arguably, you can't offer these simple truths for free in this Dharma-ending age, maybe. Right? I mean, dana could be simply tailoring your message to uh, 
take advantage of the marketing techniques of some of these successful shysters, but at the same time, charge, but offer the necessary sufficiency, right? So you're not just marketing the same garbage. You're actually trying to provide content. So unlike charging, say, $1,400 for something that arguably, geez, I mean, shouldn't be worth more than $100, right? Because it would be worthwhile give you a couple hours worth of your time, but $1,400, eh? <laughs> right? When you actually provide uh, the individuals with the sufficiency, with the what they're looking for, if you provide them with the path. I mean, I saw today a gentleman was talking about how, I mean, trying to choose the different meditation style has him confused and then he ends up just not meditating. I mean, I found that ridiculous. I mean, there is one style. It's to still the mind, to focus, to, to learn to chill, right? And be a better person, right? This is all, it's a group of aggregates just like us because nothing, as I said, nothing is born of itself, right? Cause and effect. And also, and I'll finish this, what I mentioned, because again, like I said, they digressed into complaining about Trump. These gentlemen are talking about Buddhist-based um, practices, prescriptions for reducing suffering, yet they're not even implementing these same prescriptions, right? So what do you do when you're all suffering about something like politics? You apply the same law of dependent origination is what you do. It's cause and effect, right? When you understand such a thing as dependent origination or conditionality of our existence or inter interdependent origination or the law of cause and effect or emptiness which states that nothing is uh, it's empty of uh, like a self, right? Something that makes it truly uh, unique. So with that in mind, how dare ye Try to attribute single causes to any, any, any effect, right? Be it good or bad, right? Because same as when you go and sit yourself on your little cushion, what are you going to attribute the peace that you get from that? Is it the teachings you received? It's, is it the, the, the shamatha, the, the calmness, the state of calmness or stillness you were in at the moment? Or maybe it was the vipassana, that insight that you were in the moment before that or or the pranayama that you were taught in your yoga class, or simply your posture being improved by, you know, the Pilates you've been doing, or, you know, the simple uh, peace that you've acquired from having taken up walking, and simply the fresh air and the, the exercise. Uh, so where do we attribute, right, a source, a cause? And the same can be said for solutions. It is arguably ridiculous to think that any solution is without compromise, right? I mean, that's the same sucker. As I said earlier, I think I may have only said it on our walk. No, I did mention it, didn't Or no, I didn't. Currently uh, looking into Churyi again, who was a contemporary, a Chinese contemporary of Bodhidharma. He was located in China, actually in the north, 
at the time that Bodhidharma made his way um, east. What he did is he tried to combine all of the different ideas of practice to produce a compendium, I guess you could say. But what he said was, um, I don't remember what. Okay, so, sorry, I apologize. I was talking about a few different things there, but no. Importantly for Churyi, obviously, is um, his understanding of the practice, but what I was getting at was arguably maybe his overcomplication or maybe an attempt to explain um, to explain why he broke down dependent origination, emptiness, uh, and added the middle way as a third component to what we need to understand. And I'll argue they're all one. Right, So, emptiness or shunyata, he considers one aspect of this doctrine. Shunyata being emptiness, I argue oneness. The idea is it's empty of inherent nature, or, as I said, of an inherent self, being even, say, your picnic table. You break down a picnic table, you can break it down into the paint and the wood and the bolts. You can break down the bolts into the mineral, the stone, the wood that was the trees, it was the fiber, it was the sun, it was the water, right? And it becomes a little confusion because, well, emptiness is cause and effect. Cause and effect is dependent origination. Dependent origination is, you know, conditionality, right? Everything is conditional on this, on that, on this, on that. And how do we navigate this? That's where this bit of a leap comes from. How do we navigate this understanding that not, like everything's empty or you know everything is the same in a sense uh, empty of inherent nature this negation thing is a weird thing in Buddhism you can think of it in a positive sense that we share uh, identical qualities right what we see as differentiation right you me the table the chair the trees the wind the sun male female what we see as differentiation is all delusion. Right? Once you achieve that perfected state, you don't see blue or black, yellow or red, you know, on or off, right? So for Churyi, he felt it was important to kind of explain, explain this it, because there was an existing uh, premise. So... There is commonly a misunderstanding that they blend Taoism with Buddhism to produce what eventually would become Chan or the Tiantai uh, tradition, because Churyi is considered the um, a patriarch of Tiantai. I believe the fourth patriarch or the first patriarch. It's neither here nor there. The idea here is that Taoism didn't shape Buddhism uh, in any way other than, just like in every other area that it was introduced, uh, concepts that were familiar to the culture were used to explain these new concepts. So, as I've explained many times before in the podcast, there's this concept of the golden mean in the Yijing, which uh, is uh, the Yi, the great, uh, the great book of change. 
which is arguably uh, the seminal text, uh, again, arguably the, uh, the foundation of Taoism and Confucianism as a philosophy. And, and then, of course, the didactic of, of Chinese everything, right? The flood, um, the flood myth and, you know, the, the kingdom of Shang and uh, King Wu and all these other important um, metaphors. And so in this case, he separates the middle way, right? Because uh, you don't want to take the Taoist perspective that just go with the flow. So for in this case, it's like, well, what are you going to do? As I said before, um, simple knowledge practice can get you there, but it's the action that matters. So he wanted them to understand that you have to be active. So to separate this concept of the middle way, Madhyamaka, the yoga car and tradition that this was flowing from, was not weird. Because the golden mean speaks to exactly this, how to navigate this entire concept. So it almost makes it seem Taoist, but it's just using these concepts, universal concepts, uh, to explain this new philosophy. So the golden mean is the idea of it's not insufficiency and it's not excess, right? So that's how you navigate this truth of emptiness, right? Shunyata, that all things are empty of self, especially yourself, what you consider to be yourself. And that uh, why are all things empty? It's because the truth of everything is this dependent nature, right? So... How do you navigate that? I mean, there you go. I mean, I'm kind of arguing myself into a corner here because it really does help to understand this idea, whether you're Chinese or not, right? Um, this golden mean, this uh, middle way, is a wonderful idea. Uh, yeah, so what's this guy on about? I mean, geez, right? Yeah, the middle way says nothing to provide people with drips and drabs of uh, of a practice they're looking to help themselves out with. As I said, I, I mentioned Chiryi because he spent his entire life looking to consolidate all of these teachings to help people so they could practice, right? Not just study, pati, but study and practice. Put the, the practice put the study into practice, put the practice into study? No. Pati pati. Right? That's the idea. Right? So the idea of mindfulness not being a practice. Like I said, that that poor guy who just can't decide whether to use vipassana or shamatha or mindfulness or sati or um, anapanasati or satipatthana or... Uh, metta meditation or karuna meditation or this guy's new cognitive empathy or maybe the Wim Hof breathing method or no, my yoga teacher told me this is a better way or even a new one I found. Yeah, yeah Turkish uh, Dervish Sufi is now providing uh, meditation training um, to Canadians well, free of charge, which is nice, but what is he really teaching them? I mean, what kind of a tradition do the do the whirling dervish have? I mean, that was their tradition. Their meditation was to spin and spin and spin and spin. Is that what they're teaching people? 
is to spin around like a mad person. And you're confusing that dizziness for some sort of extraordinary state. I mean, I know. I'm being silly. It's what I do. I'm just tired that these people are abusing such a simple thing. Right? Mindfulness, the new tagline. It makes me want to throw up. Right? Here we've gone for a walk. And I'm trying to figure out how we can actually get this sort of teaching out to the average public, uh, right? And like I said earlier, I've come to realize that I'm going to have to charge for this. Otherwise, no one's even going to pay attention to it, right? I mean, there's certainly ways you can go about providing it to those in need. But arguably, I see the point. If you don't value value yourself, your content, your contribution. Why should anyone else value it? Right? If you're battling a sea of white noise, a bunch of people just right, like I said, repackaging the same content over and over again. Never providing the proper sufficiency that people are looking for so that people just have to keep Buying and rebuying. I mean, I'll tell you, I get a lot of my uh, hardcover, not hardcover, but real books, like not digital books, I get from a thrift store. Up here in Canada, or at least in this area that I'm in, for some reason, these books, I see them all the time. I get these great books. I do podcasts on them, so you know. Many of these books don't seem like they've ever been open. And I mean, they still have the uh, the price tag on them because it's Canadian so they charge quite a bit more than the cover price because well they can get away with it so these books are 20 and 30 40 some of them dollars a piece I mean who is buying these books right hundreds and hundreds of dollars hundreds and hundreds of dollars just in books and then a lot of these people aren't even reading and here I sit, trying to get this message out for free, and yet I'm surprised that no one's paying any attention to it. Right? I guarantee you, if I go and create a new entity tomorrow and start charging hundreds of dollars an hour right, to provide this magic you know, sucker that only you know, the Satipatthana or that new compound word I invented, right? Satipatipati or even my own uh, dharma sattva, right? Or dharma, or dhamma sattva, right? Or even bodhisattva, right? I'm a being devoted to the path towards enlightenment. But am I? Am I really? Are any of us really? Are any of us not? I mean, depending on the sect you believe... We all have within us our store of Buddha nature, so arguably we're all bodhisattvas, we're all mahasattvas, we're all great beings. We're all endowed with this discernment and the ability to be aware. <laughs> it's obviously time to celebrate. But in, in the time, uh, the Dharma ending age, right? arguably, would you be doing a disservice if you continue uh, to live the life of a medicant 
or an aesthetic, right? I mean, are we not told that's not the way, right? It's the middle way. It's not insufficiency and it's not excess. So that means you don't give it away, live on, on, on scraps. No, the teaching is you provide the people the teaching. You provide them the sufficiency. You provide them the utility. You try to provide them value for their, their investment, right? And then that is true benefit, sila, morality, right? Sama, sila, maybe not, right? But as I said, in a world when the decline of values, morals, and ethics have gotten to the point now where most people judge themselves compared to the vapid, malevolent caricatures of people. I mean, who's at fault? Is it those of us looking to share this truth but still struggling with the self and, and vanity and uh, commercialism? Right? Am I to blame for... Uh, for not embracing that path, right? Is I've said this before, who's really to blame here? Is it these fake Buddhists who take advantage of seekers who are looking for some answers, for some help, and peace? Or is it the devout Buddhists who refuse out of vanity or ego or a false sense of, you know, I don't know devotion or I don't know I'm struggling it with myself I mean nobody does anything for free anymore why is it that we have two types of Buddhists in this world we have those who provide it absolutely free of charge and they're starving to death and the message is not getting out or we have those who take advantage of the marketing machine and they're making millions of dollars and they're harming people rather than helping. All right, I can give you a list of a dozen different organizations that are known for the horrible things they're doing, not just on a whole, but to their members. And they're millions and millions and millions of dollars in the bank. Right? And I know of, you know, many, many fewer people who are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful sattvas, maha sattvas, bodhisattvas, right? But nobody knows of them because, because they're, right? They're not vain, they're not vapid, they're not looking to extend their ego. They're just looking to share you know, this peace that either they've achieved for themselves or or from what other people have noticed. Just like I said, the Buddha was convinced by Brahma that he should teach these simple truths. Right? The Buddha himself warned us to watch for de degenerate sex. He told us to watch for ego, abusing uh, these people's needs as well as, um, right, the, the power of the teaching itself. And as I said, it's not uncommon that uh, 
the Dhamma was translated simply for the power that could be wielded over other people, right? Corporal power, not otherworldly power, extraordinary power, or power over self. No. I'm talking about the ego, the will to power, as Nietzsche would say. Right? So on that note, I guess I'll leave it. Um, I mean, the reason why I posted this particular rant is we just went on our walk trying to find a way to balance a lifetime of learning, wanting to share it, but at the same time making it sustainable. And then to come home to see this podcast where, oh, this the message is mangled and the meaning is malevolent. Words are wasted. 